Hi everyone, welcome to Reluctantly Adult, an advice podcast for people who believe they shouldn't be allowed to adult. I'm your host, Charmel Scipio, and I reluctantly adult. For the last month, we've been talking about better sex. Uh, we've had two roundtable discussions, a great behind the scenes look at being a dominatrix with Mistress Tissa. And today we talk with Dr. Susanna Mayer, who is a professional sexologist. Um, she's been a sexologist for about 20 years, and she has some really, really interesting insights into approaching communication with your partner, expressly being responsible for your own pleasure and creating your own personal path to pleasure, as well as talking about you know her erotic literary salon that she started and why she particularly started that as a way to help adults address issues around uh, sexual education. Um, and she also shares her treatment philosophy called Ageless Sex. I really enjoyed doing this interview and I hope that you all can get something from it. So enjoy. Welcome to Reluctantly Adult. Please introduce yourself to the people. Well, thank you for having me. Uh, my name is Dr. Susanna Mayer. I have a doctorate in human sexuality that I got later in life in 2009 when I was in my early 60s. Wow. Um, but on, on some level, that's a good thing because mm -hmm. what I was researching, people felt very comfortable disclosing things to me because mm -hmm. of my age and at that time my gray hair. <laughs> I don't know that, you know, People assume you're automatically wise with gray hair. I got to tell you, that's not true. That's not how you feel inside. <laughs> but, you know, that's the perception the rest of the world has. Right. Um, but I became a sexologist, which is very different than a, most people say, oh, you're a sex therapist. Mm -hmm. And I'm not. Mm -hmm. uh, I have taken a lot of psychology courses. But sex therapists, that is their mainstay. Mm -hmm. They either have a PhD in psychology or social workers. Um, and they're trained in psychology. And, you know, their specialty, um, they deal with really deep issues okay. um, that need intensive therapy. Okay. Um, and quite often, a therapist uh, who doesn't consider themselves a sex therapist, but they're just a psychologist, once they peel back the onion with a client and find out there's a sex issue going mm -hmm. on, if it's an issue that has sort of a goal to it, mm -hmm. sort of wanting to enhance whatever is going on in their lives, mm -hmm. um, or dealing with what they consider to be um, a function issue, they will send them to me. I see. And if I find when I'm dealing with somebody and working with them with their brief, you know, I deal mainly with brief therapy and very goal-oriented that I'm stuck and we figured out I'm stuck because there's an abuse issue. I see. That's old. I will send them to a psychologist. Okay. Um, so that's basically what the difference is. And and the way I work is my background um, is a rather holistic approach mm -hmm. to behaviors. Uh, it's biological, sociological, psychological. It very much takes in the whole person. Mm -hmm takes in their ethnic background, their religiosity, and just a whole range of things, what mm -hmm. they've learned, what they haven't learned. You know, most of the time, if you are lucky enough to have a sex ed course, it's right. usually about procreation. Right. Nobody's going to tell you how to put that condom on in right. school. That's just not what is shown. Um, so I actually do an adult sex ed um, portion to my erotic literary salon, mm -hmm. which I hold once a month, uh, third Tuesday of the month. Okay. And you can get that information on my website. And a, a small part of it, about a half an hour, mm -hmm. although I think that may be growing because the demand <laughs> is there. It's yeah. like, you know, I have 60 to 100 adults that come to this every month. And we talk about absolutely everything and anything that you will most likely not find in a sex ed book. Right. Right. You know, and and it's audience participation. Mm -hmm. I, I so it's not just what I'm talking about, it's the experience of the audience and it's twenty one and up because it's in a bar. Right. Um, <laughs> I have nothing to do with that. And I'm sure that the drinks that are being served there really help the people that participate in it too. Yes and no. It it does amaze me how many people 
don't want to drink because they mm-hmm. really want to be all there to hear, you know, and to participate, which is great. And then there's, you know, the second half, which is where people do their readings. Mm-hmm. And it's not just, even though it's called the Erotic Literary Salon, that was for marketing purposes because I got my flyers in the library and if I'd said you know this is the porn literary salon it was not gonna happen or if I even mentioned the word sex they they would never have done it Um, so sex memoirs Mm -hmm. journals diaries people are sharing those they're sharing rants they're sharing their personal stories spoken word it evolved. I mean, it's been going on for almost eight years. It wow. didn't start out that way. Right. Um, but it has evolved because, you know, I basically do what the audience would like me to do. Mm-hmm. And that's what they wanted. They mm-hmm. wanted a place to share those personal thoughts where I've, I've, at the first time, in fact, that the salon met, um, at, at intermission, a young man said, oh, I had no idea it was going to be like this. I'm running home and getting my diary, and I'm going to read it. Oh, that's and awesome. Was, he said, it's you know, I've been writing it for years. It's under my bed. I had no one to share it with. Right, right. Now, not, not that everybody wants to share their diary, yep. because, you know, for some people it's very personal, and they're hoping nobody reads it after they die. But um, <laughs> there's something about sex memoirs people like to share. Right, yeah. Especially with an audience that is so supportive. Mm-hmm. I mean, truly supportive. And what happens when people read their stories? There's something about speaking your truth. Right. Speaking your history. It kind of validates it. hmm And then I watch the audience members, and mm-hmm. every once in a while I see that aha moment where right. somebody can really be in alignment with what the person's saying up front and they're thinking, oh my goodness, I thought I was the only one that loved that or did that. Right. I thought I was not normal. Mm -hmm. And what they learn is that everything is normal. The spectrum is huge. (laughs) It may not be traditional. And the likelihood is if you're asking me, Mm -hmm. you know already it's not traditional. Right. Right. But normal, the range. It's relative. Yeah. It's it's enormous. So let me ask you, just to sort of backtrack, like before you created the uh, erotica, um, erotic literary salon, er, er, erotic literary salon. Before you created that, um, and before you even got your doctorate, sort of what attracted you to to becoming a sexologist? Well, we're going back to one of a lot of years. Mm-hmm. I was married at the age of twenty. Oh wow! So I got married, and and that's not unusual. You have to think of the historical context mm-hmm. of when I got married, 1968. Okay. Um, okay. There were no self-help books on mm-hmm. sexuality. Mm-hmm. I mean, it just, yeah, there were a few on marriage, and gosh, I really should have some examples, but it's a little scary, you know, <laughs> even reading them. You feel like you were in the Victorian age, even in 1968. Oh, goodness. I mean, the first real self-help book for men mm-hmm. was the height report which was actually a survey done by a woman who who felt like she had to leave the country she lives in germany now mm-hmm. because the academic community totally poo-pooed her they said you don't have a doctorate you didn't do this under you know it was no stringent rules and regulations and how you put this together and you came up with all these conclusions. It was a huge hit. It was a major national bestseller. And men read this and used it as a sex help book because they got to figure out for the first time what women want. Right, right. You know? And it's still an issue today. What do women want? Mm -hmm. What do men want? Right. Because you rarely ask your partner that. Mm Mm-hmm. And you know, that was actually, that actually came up in the roundtables that I hosted, is that there was an emphasis put on, especially by the guys, that they want to please their partners. Like, they they get a, a point of pride in ensuring that the other person's um, happy and satisfied with their performance and, and what they got out of it. Um, but the one thing is that 
specifically with them they they said that they talked about it but for one of the guys like that was a revolutionary idea to to kind of have a a conversation with someone to to really sort of discuss you know maybe we should try this what do you think about that and and it just being sort of like a generalized conversation with his partner whereas when i spoke with the women that was something where maybe this particular group of women were a little bit more progressive where they were more upfront with what it is that they wanted to get from their partner so they were more clear with what they wanted to ask but generally i feel like that there are a lot of women that feel apprehensive to sort of speak up and to ask for what they want and in asking sort of communicating to their partner what they do want what they expect those different things so like how do you help people approach that oh many different levels okay so a lot of women have heard when they were younger you know sex is terrible sex is bad Mm -hmm. you're a bad girl if you do it right save it for the one you love right what kind of a message is that it's a scary message. <laughs> it's a very scary, scary message. Yeah. And it's not an unusual message. Mm-hmm. And it may not have been said in exactly those words, but it was definitely implied. Absolutely. Women are not supposed to like sex. Right. That is for somebody else. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it is a major issue. Um, and because of our anatomy, mm-hmm. um, it's easier for men to see themselves their genitals it's hanging out there for women it's not quite as obvious Mm -hmm. and it's it's not um women quite often don't even start masturbating till they're much older because Mm -hmm. they haven't found it they don't even know where the clitoris is Mm -hmm. and or sometimes by accident Mm -hmm. they've you know leaned up against something hard Mm -hmm. in order to to find that but I don't know if this statistic still holds true, but it was from the 90s, I think, when I was doing my research. The likelihood of men having an orgasm when they first are married Mm -hmm. is like almost 100%. Wow. For women, about two years later. Wow. That is really sad. That's sad, yeah. Very sad. And, And it's... You know, it says something about the lack of education. Mm -hmm. You know, you may learn where all those places are. Right. But nobody is going to teach you in a sex ed class how to arouse somebody. Right. I mean, that's just not, that's totally foreboding. Um, And the only way you're going to learn that Mm -hmm. is on yourself. Right. And we have all these sort of voices in our head, the the media, our parents, Mm -hmm. our religiosity saying, don't touch yourself. Yeah. So now you have no idea how to pleasure yourself. Mm-hmm. How are you going to tell somebody else right. how to pleasure you? Absolutely. So, you know, thank goodness I, I well, it was a little late, but, you know, in my <laughs> early 20s, you know, the feminist revolution came out mm-hmm. and Betty Dotson, who is the now the grandmother of masturbation, she's in her mid-80s. All right. Um she had women taking, basically taking charge, getting mm-hmm. power, getting out those mirrors, looking at themselves, right. you know, looking at inside with, you know, um, plastic cervical uh, speculums mm-hmm. to see what they look like. Because right. the only person I'd probably seen it is their gynecologist if right. they went to one. So you you don't even know where anything is because right. it's all inside. Mm-hmm. And even for men... You ask a man, a man, so how how long are you? And what they're going to give you is the number of inches that is showing on one side of their scrotum. Right. The number of inches that gets inserted mm-hmm. into somebody during intercourse, mm-hmm. whether it's anal or vaginal. It's almost twice that size. Right. Because it also flows in back of the scrotum. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's something good about that. Mm-hmm. Because... Men don't realize this. They do when they get older and mm-hmm. and um, their hardness isn't as controlled as when they were younger. Right. But even younger men now who have a lot of stress, um, there are times they just don't get hard. What they don't realize is hardness has nothing to do with orgasm. Mm-hmm. 
you can ejaculate without having an orgasm and you can orgasm without ejaculating. Right. Most of the time it comes together, so they make that automatic assumption mm -hmm. that it's going to. But it doesn't have to. Okay. Um, and if you're not hard, which that hardness is sort of on one side, mm -hmm. um, if you or your partner strokes mm -hmm. the entire length of it, um, it's a very different feeling. Right. Right. Totally different feelings. Mm -hmm. And that hardness comes quicker, or you may think yourself into an orgasm. Right. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. The, I mean, I, I think you're right in the sense that recently, I guess, uh, have, I've been out of high school for 10 years, but the way that sex, as, sex ed is taught is that, you know, there's an inherent sort of advice that says, you know, don't have sex and the result of you having sex is a child, you know, and they make you carry around either an automatic, an automated baby or uh, a sack of flour or an egg or what have you to, to sort of get you into the mindset of taking care of a child. But they, they absolutely do not put emphasis on sex as a pleasurable act, right. which I don't know, like, maybe it's me, like, maybe I'm a prude. I don't know if I necessarily would think that kids should know that sort of deal. And I mean, I guess that's the other thing is thinking of them as children rather than thinking of them as young adults who are going to have these experiences regardless of if they have information or not. So isn't it best that they have the right information sort of deal? Um, I just, I, I know that personally I was ill-prepared, both... Um, from school, but also at home, which for me that causes, caused and still causes a lot of anxiety around when I approach sex or um, even talking about it with a partner. It's it's just really arresting to have that type of conversation with someone. Um, and I have to imagine that I'm not alone in that. So sort of how how can people overcome that anxiety because to your point like I think as a woman I I think I can't speak for a guy but I think I may be more acutely aware of my anxiety rather than a guy because I think even in society there's a higher there's I don't want to say a higher importance but there's a higher sort of obviousness that a man will be able to sort of be pleasured from sex whereas that's that same message is not necessarily given for women like I think in the last couple years there have been a lot of sort of new age women taking that mantle and being more forward with saying you know sex is about women's pleasure also and if you're not being pleasured then you ought to find someone that can achieve that for you be it yourself or be it with someone else um, but there's still a level of anxiety for me um, and I imagine that it's out there for other people so how can folks overcome that so I'm going to go back to language you just used, okay. and that is somebody, you know, pleasuring me. You have to take responsibility for your own mm -hmm. pleasure. Okay. Now, whether that is literally taking it into your own hands mm -hmm. and masturbating and masturbating solo or with your partner there, mm -hmm. um, you can do that or making sure your partner knows how to please you. Right. And you won't be able to do that until you know how to please yourself. Right. You know, and those are things I teach women to mm -hmm. do. And having the conversation, that conversation will differ depending on your motivation mm -hmm. for sex. Okay. Some people are having sex because they definitely want to have a baby. Right. They want to procreate. Some people are having sex because, I mean, the list is long. Right. They want to please their partner. They want to please themselves. Sometimes it's overlapping more than one thing. Right. Um, they're doing it because they're going to get paid for it. Right. They're doing it because they just want the pleasure. They want to release stress. I mean, dozens of reasons why. Mm -hmm. And based on dozens of those reasons why, having that conversation may change. Right. And I usually, you know, if we're talking very specifically about behaviors, mm -hmm. what you like or you don't like, mm -hmm. if you have somebody as your partner, you know, make a list. Make a list of all the things you absolutely will never go there. You okay. Just don't even have this conversation with me. We're not going there. And then there's the, 
Absolutely, I'll do it anytime you ask. Okay. And then there's the, well, we need to discuss this. Okay. You know, maybe I'll do it sometimes, maybe not. I know it pleasures you, and your pleasure brings me pleasure, but yeah, maybe just once a month. Right. You know, but there are those lists that you can put together, and you're allowed to change. Mm-hmm. Anything, always. I give people you know, permission to change anything, anytime in their lives. Right. You know, nothing's set in gold and never say never. Um, but that helps. And that list, I usually tell people, if you're going to really have some heavy-duty conversations about sexuality outside of the bed, mm-hmm. do it while you're eating, do it while you're walking somewhere, but out of the bedroom, mm-hmm. until you feel comfortable having those conversations, right. then you can bring them back into the bedroom. Mm-hmm. And especially clearly if you're going to, you know, need to show and tell that that, you know, gets done in a private place. Absolutely. And the bedroom <laughs> is a good place to do that. Right. Um, but yeah, show and tell is a great, you know, go back to being a really young kid again. Mm-hmm. Um, I usually tell people think of their bed as a sandbox mm-hmm. minus the sand um, <laughs> gets a little gritty yeah um, but you have to have fun right I mean sex is fun if you've got anxiety around it mm-hmm. you got to figure out why ask yourself you know seriously so what what parts anxious you right know, and and usually the first thing that pops in your head is is the thing right of what's anxious about it um, most of the time it has to do with performance mm-hmm oh my God, I don't think I'm going to be able to get it up or oh my goodness, he's going to look at my stomach or, mm-hmm. you know, the whole, everybody has different anxieties um, and you have to work on those. Mm-hmm. You know, if you can't work on them yourselves, there are a whole bunch of sex, you know, self-help books out there or talk to your friends. Uh, there's nothing wrong with seeing a counselor mm-hmm. Who specializes who and and finding someone who is sex positive right finding someone who is not going to bring shame on you for saying listen i you know i suck my thumb every time i do this right uh, it's fine you know you're not disturbing anybody else by doing that absolutely um, but you know and and that's not such an unusual thing by the way mm-hmm. um we are very oral people <laughs> um yeah we are very very much so so I have a philosophy. Okay. And it's called the ageless sex philosophy. And that's your your treatment philosophy and how you sort of approach working with people. Absolutely. Okay. It is my treatment. It's also part of a book that I'm in the process of writing. Awesome. Conscious Coupling, Ageless Sex. That's mm-hmm. a working title so far. <laughs> um, hopefully will be ebook published by chapter soon, but I also have three agents who are interested in taking it to publishers. So I got an exclusive. You right have here. the exclusive yes. here. Um, and the book is going to be done in parts. Mm-hmm. So the first one is really, it's probably not your audience, but it's postmenopausal women because okay. there are a lot of issues with hormonal changes and, and that come up. But I'm sure I will wind up writing a book for people of all ages. Mm-hmm. And, and certainly you can learn from any book. Right. Um, but the philosophy is the same. And that is uh, when you're getting older, and by the way, we all get older the minute we're born. Right. That's just what happens, uh, whether you're 20 or 50 or 70. Mm-hmm. Um, you have to keep in mind your health and emotional challenges um, that don't discriminate by age. And so my philosophy is the physical expression of intimacy taking into consideration emotional needs, aging bodies, and health challenges. Mm -hmm. Uh, And we all have that at all ages. Yes. You know, so if you're 28 instead of 20 or even 40 or 45 instead of 20 and those hormones start changing and probably in the mid 40s mm-hmm. your hormones start changing and hormones do impact how you deal with your sexuality Absolutely. a lot as far as i'm concerned the ageless sex philosophy says you have to take all of that into consideration mm-hmm. to create whatever goal it is you want mm-hmm. and it's usually pleasure Okay. And even, you know, when people say to me, well, wait a minute, I'm really into, you know, being whipped or or being spanked. And Mm -hmm. I go, well, that's fine, but you're getting pleasure out of it, right? Right. And 
they go, well, there's pain. And I do not like to use the word pain Mm -hmm. because pain for most people says, ouch, that hurts, that's not good. Well, for some people, ouch, that's hurts Mm -hmm. translates to that feels really good. Right. So I like to talk about that in terms of light sensation to heavy sensation. I see. Okay. It just makes it easier to have a discussion around it. Mm -hmm. Um, But for all people, whether you are being, you know, being loved and caressed very gently with what I call whisper kisses Mm -hmm. to, you know, having your lip bitten Mm -hmm. to whatever it is, it's got to be pleasurable. Right. Because otherwise there's another element that comes in here. Mm -hmm. And that is you're not getting any pleasure from this. Right. At all. Right. Um, And then we have some psychological issues that are going on there. Yeah. And I mean, I wonder what it is like to be someone that sort of interacts with sex because they feel like it's just something that they have to do. Like, like, checking a box sort of deal i i wonder if that is how they feel um because you feel that there's some obligation to it or or you do it and you know you you just feel like it's something to be endured but like you said there's no pleasure coming coming from it right um and and that comes under motivation what motivates you what motivates you to have sex with no pleasure Mm -hmm. Are you doing it because, well, you know, my partner gave me, you know, did oral sex on me and I promised to do it on him and I really hate this and blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. I mean, the one major issue that people come into sexologists and sex therapists are disparity issues, Mm -hmm. disparity among the libido, how many times you're going to have sex and clearly we're using the word have sex as a majority of people use that word, meaning intercourse. Absolutely. I like to expand on that, but for the moment, we'll stick in that line of direction. Mm -hmm. Um, So your reason for having sex Mm -hmm. is there are a myriad of reasons, and it could be because you want to please your partner. Right. And that's fine, except if that's the only way you can enjoy yourself right right then we need to start talking about why are you not being able to get pleasure on your own Mm -hmm. why do you need to get it through your partner Mm -hmm. i mean anytime you only have one way that you can conceivably come and i'm not talking about that fantasy that comes in your head just before you're about to ejaculate or have this orgasm or even women ejaculate Mm -hmm. Um, because sometimes people kind of need that little oh god what's going to get me over that last right right um and it's usually a fantasy of something that turns you on Mm -hmm. um but i'm talking about well Unless I stick a sock in my ear, it's not going to happen. Right, right. And those are called fetishes. Mm-hmm. Um, they usually become an, an issue for somebody because it's the only way they can do it. Right. Um, for a lot of men, it's not uncommon. I have a, you know, a, a couple will come to me. They're newlywed or they've been together for six months or a year. Mm-hmm. Um, and the man just can never have an orgasm inside his wife. Mm-hmm. And they complain. Well, the complaint really winds up being, well, that's not normal. And I go, well, what does that mean? Right, right. (laughs) Well, that's what everybody does. And I go, well, just because that's what everybody does doesn't mean it's necessarily normal. It's traditional, Mm -hmm. no doubt about it. Um, And that's not an unusual thing because men are used to using their hand, Mm -hmm. which absolutely does not feel like the walls of a vagina. Right. Right. Um, Their brain is wired for that hand. They've been doing it for probably 20 or 30 years, Mm -hmm. and now all of a sudden they have a different environment. Doesn't translate that quickly. Right. Um, And quite often men, you know, pride themselves on going really fast because they didn't want to get in trouble. They didn't want to get caught. They were in their bedroom. They did this slickety split, and all of a sudden they can't slow down. Right. That's what they're used to. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of behavioral stuff you have to work through Mm -hmm. in order to all of a sudden 
be with a woman, be inside, take your time. Mm -hmm. Now, some men pride themselves of, oh my gosh, being in a woman and pounding her for 20 minutes. Well, I got to tell you, that woman most likely is not feeling the pride the way the guy is. Right. Absolutely. This is just, you know, not what you want. Yeah. (laughs) Right. Yeah. It's the opposite. It sounds like the exact opposite. Yeah. Now, I don't want to say that the woman who does want that is necessarily bad. I'm no. just saying, fine, if that's what you like. But the likelihood is the person that's coming, you know, the couple that's coming to me, it's because one of them loves whatever it is she loves and the guy loves what he loves and they're not quite compatible. Mm-hmm. And so I help them find that that space where they're compatible and they can work together and everybody gets their needs met. Okay, you know, because that's that's my bottom line. You really have to live that authentic life in relationship, and I call that. Um, there are three concepts I work with: the authentic sex life, with mm-hmm. honors how you feel about your sexuality and consciously act on it, mm-hmm. um, and then there's the conscious coupling lifestyle, which is living an authentic sex life mm-hmm. within relationship, taking okay. into considerations everyone's sexual needs and not just your own Mm -hmm. and let me just skip a second um Mm -hmm. we've been talking about having sex Mm -hmm. and and most people translate that as i mentioned earlier to intercourse i like to use the word sex play okay and and that is really taking your bed and playing with it Mm -hmm. playing in it i should say um And when you do that, you get rid of the word foreplay, which we've all heard and we all use. But what does that actually mean? Mm -hmm. It means before something is going to happen. And and for most people, that means orgasm. Mm -hmm. So now we've set up a performance. Mm -hmm. We've got a foreplay and we've got an orgasm going to happening. But if you get rid of foreplay, you also can get rid of orgasm Mm -hmm. not to say you not going to have it right but that it's not expected Mm -hmm. and by not expecting it you get to enjoy all those things Mm -hmm. that you did in foreplay right but you get to enjoy each and every one of those actions not necessarily as a build-up for the next thing right it could go that way Mm -hmm. or just enjoy it for what it is Mm -hmm. And if you want to, you can take it to a certain level and go, let's revisit this tomorrow. Let's just build up that wonderful energy. Right. Because if you do that enough times and you build up that energy enough times, the explosion is even greater, Mm -hmm. which a lot of people like. Right. Um, And you can do that within one session of being in bed. It's not Mm -hmm. necessarily going over days, but going maybe over hours. And, you know, people laugh at me and they go how many hours were you in bed? And I go, you know, when you're of a certain age, it, quickies just don't happen. Right. Um, and I'm not against quickies. I used to have them all the time. They're fun. They're great. You know, it's yeah. part of my toolbox, my repertoire. But it can get, pr- anything can get pretty boring if right. it's the same thing. Um, the one major problem people have, they come to me is boredom. Right. It's boring. Right. Um, who, who needs to do this? Absolutely. So you just gave me a lot of things where like, I'm just like, okay, like, make sure that you remind yourself to ask these questions. So I want to take it back to sort of at the top, you were talking about how, you know, people's basically like their life factors and their their culture and their religiosity, how all of those things um, sort of impact their relationship to and approach to sex. Like, Mm -hmm. can you give an example of, of, you know, what what some of the common issues around that are? Masturbation. Okay. It's a biggie. It's huge. I mean, that is, you know, for a lot of people, that is, they're not allowed to touch themselves. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's a horror show. Mm-hmm. You're not even allowed to enjoy sex. Um, I have a girlfriend, um, Reverend Dr. Beverly Dale, mm-hmm. and sh- she has a webinar called let me get the title right. <laughs> Reading the Bible with Sex Positive Eyes. Okay. 
and she founded uh, the Incarnation Institute for Sex and Faith, mm-hmm. and that's Liberating Pleasure and Healing the Spirit. Um, because she really, she's lived it herself. Mm-hmm. And then she became a reverend. I'm not quite sure if she became the reverend because of that, but um, nowhere, as far as she's concerned, Mm -hmm. in the Bible does it say that sex is not supposed to be pleasurable. Mm -hmm. And so she really has a very different take on it um, than most people. So my feeling is if you have gotten all those religious messages that say, do not touch yourself. Mm-hmm. Sex is not pleasurable. As a woman, you are there to um, please the man. And mm-hmm. by the way, in the Jewish religion, it's the other way around. Okay, that is good to know. Grounds for divorce. Really? Yes. Wow. A male has to perform his duties. And, and it's not necessarily to have children, but mm-hmm. for pleasure. Mm-hmm. Yes. But, you know, anytime you have... Um, dogma coming in that's mm-hmm. not working for you and it's based in religion mm-hmm. I mean you can go online and see so many websites now yeah. that help you with that and if you're finding it is an issue for you um, Beverly Dell is fabulous mm-hmm. I mean she really is um, and she's not only good at what she does she's my personal friend so mm-hmm. I, I know what she's been writing about and you can she has a blog um, and even if you're not Christian if you mm-hmm. have a different faith she is very much linked into other people okay. and you can ask her where to find them okay to well let's talk to you that's good to know um, so another another part of that that I wanted to sort of pivot on is around um, so a lot of a, a lot of the things that we talked about were heterosexual sort of issues. Um, what are some of the issues that same-sex couples may may face or may come to you to to sort of talk out? Well, I'm going to be honest here. Mm-hmm. I rarely get same-sex couples. Okay, they, they just don't come to me. Mm-hmm. I mean, I certainly talk to um, sexologists that do. Um, the issues aren't all that different Mm -hmm. basic issues are very much the same Mm -hmm. uh within homosexuality um it's not unusual for the men to sort of disconnect the sexual part of it Mm -hmm. and the emotional part of it Mm -hmm. not to say that they don't emotionally love each other and express themselves that way they do but it's also for a, a fair number of couples not that unusual to say, you know, I'm emotionally connected to you, but it's not working out physically, so do you mind if I go outside of the relationship? Mm-hmm. Um, and right now, the way um, gay men have been sort of using sexuality within their relationship, mm-hmm. uh, the hetero couples are learning from that, mm-hmm. and a lot of the therapists are, and, you know, there's that new term uh, non monogamy Mm -hmm. um, which is basically very much what gay men have been doing Mm -hmm. for decades Mm -hmm. and that is keeping a part of your relationship very monogamous Mm -hmm. and allowing people to keep other parts of it to go out and open their relationship Mm -hmm. yeah I think um Dan Savage is like the the spearhead of this with his right. monogamish, I think is what he what he calls it. Well, he's the spearhead who has been doing it in the media. He's mm-hmm. not the first, though. Mm-hmm. I mean, within the field of sex therapy and family therapists, it's mm-hmm. been going on for a while. But he gets a lot of attention because he has these columns and has time to write it. Yeah, he... He um, he's been featured on a lot of different things. I think his podcast is Savage Love. I think is what it's called, um, and he talks about sort of how this philosophy has been applied to his life. Um, you know how it's transformed and evolved as he and his partner have been together um, for a long time, and sort of how it changed or affected them once they got married. Um, they have a 
they have a kid or two kids, something like that, um, and just sort of how having children affected it and, and sort of how it all kind of relates. And I mean, sometimes when you listen to it, like it it, it sounds exactly the same. Like, and I, I know that there are, um, you know, people that are in same sex relationships and are like, of course it's the same. Like we're people, we're, we're right. human beings, you know, we have a lot of the same issues as everyone else. Um, but there are also some very unique issues that, that sort of get faced as far as um, intimacy, intimacy is concerned and sort of how you approach that. Um, and a lot of things, he sort of goes over those different things and has guests on that talk about different issues in, in that regard. Right. Um, and, and women getting together, um, you know, other than the technique of pleasure, mm-hmm. you know, most women, if they know how to pleasure themselves to a certain degree can pleasure their partner easier mm-hmm. because they've got this they have a shared anatomy but they can't take for granted that everybody likes something different right so even though you and I may share a clit I like mine stroked one way you like yours stroked another way right. so can't take anything for granted mm-hmm. about what the other person likes and you really don't want to have sex with somebody have intercourse or even sex play with somebody and have them constantly giving you directions right i can't imagine i'm sure there are people that do this but you just don't want to go through that so what you can do is play with it you Mm -hmm. go today is direction day we need to have one of those direction days Mm -hmm. so every few seconds i'm just going to tell you what i really like right so that you can get it right but then you don't want to do that again for months Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. because you just want to get it down right and you know and of course at some point you can say in between there you know today that part of me does not want to be looked at right right (laughs) you know because you're evolving you're changing Mm -hmm. and it's it's constant you're never the same body from one day to the next so don't make the assumption you know Um, okay and it, it, that's just sort of a thing of have expectations, but also be flexible at the same time is, is basically what I'm hearing. Well, I tried to tell people not to have any expectations. Okay. Because then if you do, you know, you can fail and mm-hmm. then you then you feel really bad about it. <laughs> but um, I do want to mention my last concept, which is a really important one, I think, okay. and that is um, personal path to pleasure. Okay. Because we're really talking about that now. Yeah. Um, And I believe every person has their own unique style of creating pleasure, Mm -hmm. even their own unique style of creating orgasm. Unfortunately, we tend to follow the ones that get written up, you know, in these glossy magazines. Mm -hmm. And they're all based on the academics who use certain models, certain styles, because they have to when they're doing their research. But that they're just breaking it down. They're doing a deconstruction so they can come up with some numbers. Mm-hmm. But the reality is it did women a lot of disservice. For many years, women were thinking, oh, my God, I have a low libido or I don't want right. it as much as they do because they were following this model. Right. And all of a sudden, there was one woman who said, Dr. Basson from Canada, and I hope I didn't pronounce her name wrong, um, wait a minute, we keep getting these women saying this one thing and I just have a feeling they're following a different model. They're following this male model. Maybe we have a different model for women. Mm -hmm. And what she basically found out is a large number of women don't start with sexual desire. Mm -hmm. They start from neutral. Right. Well, that changes. That's a total game changer because if you're waiting for your sexual desire to kick in, it's probably not going to kick in. Right, right. So you have to deal with your life differently. Mm -hmm. You have to kick in your own desire. You have to kick in, you know, what is sort of the trigger for you to get to another level. Mm -hmm. Um, Novelty certainly does it. A new lover certainly does it. Absolutely. We all know that. Mm -hmm. Um, Watching your heart throb on television, you know, or in a movie does that to you. but the minute that happens a lot, it's no longer a novelty. Right. And you have to look somewhere else. So, yeah, I have women and men create their personal path to pleasure mm-hmm. so that they know what works for them mm-hmm. and they can share that with their partner. Mm-hmm. 
And that's really important, that sharing of what you have found out. Um, And in sharing, and that's called communication. um, (laughs) Yes. Which we all talk about, and we all, we talk about, when we talk about communication, we're usually being very verbal about it. But what we forget, there's a, a word now that gets used a lot called meta communication, M E T A. And what that is is nonverbal cues. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's not even specifically nonverbal, mm-hmm. but it's not word cues. And what I mean by that is tone of voice. Okay. I love you. Mm-hmm. I love you. Right. Well, I know exactly what's going on, or that that love you as you walk out the door, you know, mm-hmm. love you, you yeah. know, kind of thing. They all mean something different. Yeah. And that person is trying to tell us how to translate it by the tone of their voice. Right. Um, body language, gestures, facial expressions, mm-hmm. if you're that close, all that that you don't see when you're, uh, that we had talked about before we even did the podcast Mm -hmm. um, of dating sites. You know, why doesn't that translate? Because you're missing all that Mm metacommunication, which is so important. Mm -hmm. And so you have to be very mindful, not only of the words you choose when you work with somebody or you're talking and sharing things, but how you say them. Right. And ask the person to translate it back to you so that you know they got it. And they know they got it right. right. So yeah, that that's actually you actually bring up a very interesting point that kind of even dovetails into what they teach you in like marketing communications. So a lot of time, I think there's this there's this weird ratio that's out there where it's like in communication, it's about it's thirty percent about what you say. And like 70% about how you say and the how is always around sort of your your body language and different things like that. Um, And I know with (laughs) with myself personally, um, even in the past, like at work, like I've always gotten in trouble because my nonverbal communication oftentimes drifts into either being negative or being like disinterested in in what's happening Mm. in spite of in spite of paying attention and in spite of being present in what's happening. It's just that, you know, I'm not aware of sort of my uh my exterior sort of how that's that's you know going forward and in in putting forward a message to someone um but you know it it is very interesting that you that you bring up meta communication because um one of the guys on the round table even said like he was like I when I'm you know interested in having sex with my wife like I first have to understand and read whatever signals she's sending me and he's like a lot of times it's it's not verbal like I have to see you know you know how is she acting towards me you know like is she touching me a lot like that might mean that she's interested in having sex like the way that she's facing me in bed like that might be that might mean that she's interested like if she hasn't really talked to me a lot like maybe she's not interested and you know what do I need to do to signal to her that I'm interested in having sex with her tonight and seeing, you know, if we can sort of match those things up. But on the, on the flip side, like in the irony is that I didn't really hear that with the women, like women were saying that they wanted a lot of verbal sort of back and forth to kind of expressly understand those things. So there was this thing where it seemed like the guys were okay with this ambiguity around reading metacommunication and, and trying to decipher that whereas women were like listen just just be very upfront with me like these are the there things was that, that I want to hear disconnect there yeah. it's called well i mean and that's the discussion you have to have mm-hmm. that's you know if she says you know you need to come up to me and you need to ask me right you can touch me here and there but if if this is what you really want mm-hmm. just ask me right and if i don't want it I'm going to tell you when I do. Right. Don't, because if you're constantly dismissing and going, not now, not now, not mm-hmm. now, at some point people get rejected enough times they don't ask anymore. Right. They're going to start looking for it somewhere. Mm-hmm. And because everybody has a sexual, I shouldn't say everybody, a, a large group of people mm-hmm. have a sexual need. Mm-hmm. And if you're, in a committed relationship, the likelihood is you want it with that person, 
not always. Mm-hmm. But if you're not, if that person keeps rejecting you or keeps putting you down, you're just going to stop. So the best thing to say is, you know, let me finish the dishes. Right. And then I'll meet you in bed in an hour. Okay. You know. Someone be might very, be used to you that. Know, yeah. Or, you know, not tonight, but tomorrow night. Mm-hmm. So that's a way to sort of, uh, like, address the, the sort of rejection or what have you. Like, right. Is there a way to have a sort of a constructive conversation around that um, so that no one necessarily feels offended or feels even more dejected about the conversation? Because I think that there are a lot of people that may get rejected for, you know, wanting to try something specific or and the other person not be comfortable with that. But those are not the things that are being said. Like those specific things are not right, being brought across. Right. And And those are things that, you have to come to an agreement on what type of terminology you're going to use for mm-hmm. the anatomy of your body. Everybody's mm-hmm. got their nicknames. Some right. people name, give cute little names. All of that is fine mm-hmm. as long as you're all on the same page and right. you know what the language you are each speaking. Mm-hmm. Um, that list that I had mentioned earlier about this is the definite, you know, no list or the definite yes right. list or the middle, you know, if all of a sudden your partner comes up with something that was not on that list, you can just say, you know what, that's on the maybe list. Mm-hmm. And then you can have a conversation about it. Okay. You know? that. I mean, that seems fair. So we're going, we're going to wrap up. And what I, what I wanted to ask, so I have uh, three more questions that I wanted to ask you as we wrap up. Okay. So the first being that in, in the second round table, um, I was host and participant in that one. And um, I revealed that I am actively celibate to my listenership. I will let you know whether or not that was a good idea or not. Um, but what that sort of brought to mind for me is just sort of, I don't intend to be celibate forever and just sort of what things should I do when, you know, I'm thinking about getting back out there, um, you know, and, and wanting to just, you know, how, how to sort of ease back into it. And and that goes for anyone that's also hasn't had sex for, for a, a specific amount of time or what happened. Well, I think there are some people not having sex also means not masturbating. That's, right. It's not, for everybody um but you have to make sure you're sexually healthy Mm -hmm. now if you're young the likelihood is you have a lot of hormones Mm -hmm. going through your body if you're an older person um that can become an issue Mm -hmm. because you don't have all those estrogen going through your body and if you are not inserting something Mm -hmm. into your vaginal canal it starts shrinking wow and you have to go through a period of enlarging it with dilators Mm -hmm. um I suspect most of your listening audience is less than 45 years old, but if you're over 45, it does become an issue. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's just something to keep in mind Mm -hmm. in terms of sexual health. Um, But I think motivation is a big part of what to do Mm -hmm. when you no longer want to be celibate. Mm -hmm. You know, is your motivation, I just want to go out and screw somebody, Right. you know? I don't care what it is, a light bulb, you know, whatever. <laughs> I just I just need to get this celibacy over with. Right. Or do I need to fall in love first? Mm-hmm. You know? I mean, so all of that will decide when to end your celibacy. I see. You're going to make a decision on that as to how you want to do it. Mm-hmm. And you may not even have time to make the decision. Right. A person may come into your life and it's like, Oh, my God. And you find yourself, you know, in bed right? all of a sudden. So there are a lot of things. It just depends on how conscious you want to be about mm-hmm. ending your celibacy. Right. You know, because it's, it's probably important. You know, you, it's a very important thing mm-hmm. when you've been celibate, you know. And when does celibacy start? The minute you say it or the fact that you turned around and went, wow, I haven't been with somebody for three years now. I guess mm-hmm. I'm celibate. Right. Well, I didn't do this consciously, but it turned out that way. Right. And maybe I like this, you know? Mm-hmm. So there are all sorts of reasons why people do what they right. do. Okay. Um, so my second to last question is, you know, in the top five things that you think can help people sort of have a more fulfilling um 
you know, sexual life, um, just sort of what what do you think could be the most important things to ensure that that people get there for themselves? Good question. Um, I think to realize that being a sexual, sensual, erotic human being mm-hmm. as an individual is not something you just sort of put aside. Mm-hmm. Um, it can seep into every part of your life. Mm-hmm. Eating food can be a very sensual act. Mm-hmm. I mean, really feeling the textures in your mouth. Right. Um, and so it's not necessarily something you only do when you're in bed with a partner. Right. It is something you can just sort of make part of your life, mm-hmm. in a sense, mm-hmm. that eroticism, that erotic energy. Right. Um, I live with a 99-year-old woman, Mm -hmm. almost 99, part of the year. And she's one of the most sensual women I've ever met. Mm -hmm. And she flirts still to this day. (laughs) She has a 72-year-old boyfriend. Okay. You know, I don't ask her what she does in bed. The likelihood is not quite the same thing I do or maybe you do. Right. Um, But the reality is that vibrancy that Mm -hmm. she has is because she has all this wonderful energy. Mm-hmm. And, you know, sexual energy, erotic energy, I don't know what you call it, mm-hmm. but it is a vibrancy mm-hmm. that is really wonderful to have because it exudes itself in everything you do in life. Right. And definitely puts a smile on your face. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> um so uh, one last thing before we, I ask you our my signature question um, is how can people identify um, potential sex partners, um, be they long term or, or temporary, um, who are sex positive, you know, supportive and empathetic to to their needs? I think you just have to have a discussion about what your needs are mm-hmm. and get the reaction, the response from looking at them. You know, this is not a conversation to have on in a letter form. Right. Because you just really, things really look good in print. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, and you have to have a conversation around sexuality. Mm-hmm. And it may not initially be a comfort zone for either one of you to have that conversation. Right. But it really is an important one to have. And when you're first with somebody, the lust factor is so high that you could probably jump in the bed all the time Mm -hmm. that wears off at some point Mm -hmm. you know for some people sooner than others so if you're planning to make a life commitment to somebody where the likelihood is you should if you haven't talked Mm -hmm. about how many children you want to have there's a whole list of things Mm -hmm. but you need to talk about sexual expression Mm -hmm. you need to talk about what's expected in terms of monogamy you know or to revisit to be open to revisiting all the things that you have said before right to to revisit it maybe once a month once a year whatever works for you but it has to get revisited Mm -hmm. because it's going to change right your bodies change, mm-hmm. life change, circumstances change. And you have to take all of that into consideration. Awesome. So the last question is my signature question for my podcast. And that is, uh, what is the best advice that you have never taken? Me? Yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. I usually make it a point to take my advice. <laughs> I really do. Um, best advice I've never taken. Mm-hmm. And it can apply to anything. Right. Well, you know, there are times that I forget. If I wake up in the morning on the wrong side of the bed, you know, <laughs> we've probably all done that yeah. at one point. And I'll wake up with a lot of malaise. I don't like to use the word depressed. It's a pretty strong word. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we're out of it. And I'll go through a part of the day feeling that way, forgetting that if I was my own client, Mm -hmm. I would ask a whole set of questions that would get me out of that very quickly. And the minute I remember that, I go, oh, God, yeah, 
go through those questions mm-hmm. that I ask all my clients, mm-hmm. and I peel the onion very quickly, and I am out of that malaise within five minutes. Mm-hmm. There's also a part of me that says, malaise isn't always such a bad thing. Right. There are times that there are good reasons to have malaise, and then again, if you wake up on the wrong side of the bed, I think that expression really refers to you really don't have a good reason. Mm-hmm. You just, you know, maybe you had a bad dream that you don't even remember mm-hmm. um, or life is bad. So, yeah, sometimes I forget to ask those questions. And those are questions that come from something called um, option dialogue. And they're great questions. And but I don't have them at my fingertips mm-hmm. right now. But they basically get you to ask, you know, Figure out what your belief system is. Figure out why you are feeling the way you do. And once you figure out what the belief system is, just turn it around. Mm-hmm. Um, sounds simple. Yeah. And it is simple. And yet we make it more complicated than right. it is. Right. Because it's, it's, sometimes it's tough to kind of recall those things when you're immediately in the middle of something. Right. Yeah. Right. And it's sometimes hard to be honest to yourself. Yeah. Yeah, we lie to ourselves all the time. <laughs> Just, I don't know, that could be very much a protective measure. Right. Um, but I'd like to leave you with several thoughts. Sure. And you're clearly your listening audience. And, and that is things that I've said earlier, and that's mm-hmm. think of having sex as sex play, mm-hmm. not just generally focused, but anything that brings you pleasure. Mm-hmm. Um, Take responsibility for your pleasure. Mm -hmm. Do not think of sex as a performance. Mm -hmm. And savor each moment of your sex play, not just the peaks, Mm -hmm. but everything in between. And be present. Be really right there. And um, my feeling is sex should be absolute glorious fun. Mm -hmm. And if it isn't, you might want to consider doing something about it and changing it. Yeah, and perhaps one of those things might be coming to see you. Are you accepting new clients? I always accept new clients, very much so. And um, the best way for folks to get in contact with you is that through your website? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So I'll put your information up on the website for for folks to be able to reach out to you. Dr. Susanna Mayer, thank you so much for, for being on my show. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you for having me. Awesome. And that's it. Uh, I can't tell you guys how much of a great conversation that I had with Dr. Mayer. Um, I really appreciate her being a part of the show and really, really opening up to sort of sharing with us the different techniques that she uses to help her clients um, overcome any difficulties that they may have in regard to their sexual performance and how to better overcome them. I will put links out for The Height Report, Betty Dodson, Reverend Dr. Beverly Dale, Dr. Bassoon, the French-Canadian researcher, as well as Option Dialoguing. Also, if you specifically want to reach out to Susanna, you can reach her at www.susannamayer.com. Uh, She has her information on there and you can also uh, read through a lot more of her philosophy around ageless sex and conscious coupling. Uh, I think my major takeaways were number one, you have to take responsibility for your own pleasure. You've got to know how to please yourself before you can expect someone else to be able to do that. Uh, So you need to get on top of that. Uh, no pun intended. I think also it's it's helpful if you make a list for your partner so that they understand you know what things you're into, what things you're not necessarily into, and what things you may possibly be interested in. And also just sort of making sure that you're both speaking the same language whenever you're talking about sex and having that conversation, not necessarily in the bedroom, but making it sort of a generalized everyday conversation that you're having, you know, maybe before you're watching Game of Thrones or whatever. So tell me what you thought of this episode. You can leave a comment on the website at www.ireluctantlyadult.com or you can follow me on Instagram at ireluctantlyadult or on Twitter at reluctantlyadlt or you can email me at ireluctantlyadult at gmail.com. You can also subscribe and rate the podcast on iTunes. 
hopefully Google will get their act together and you'll also be able to rate and listen to the podcast on Google Play. Um, Still waiting to hear back on that. Thank you to Christopher Davis for my intro and my outro music and the amazing Ken Griffin for my incredibly dope logo. Also, thank you to Liz Welsh for being my producer this month. Um, You have no idea how much help you were. Um, The topic for March is going to be fashion. I'm really excited about this because I know nothing about fashion. Um, My fashion sense is pretty much the combination of just a little bit above homelessness mixed with you've been out of school for five years, but you still dress like you're going to uh, your eight o'clock English class. Um, So I'm really excited to talk to people who work in fashion, design in fashion, possibly model in fashion, and style people who want to look like they know something about fashion. I'm really excited about this, and I hope you guys will enjoy it as well. And I'll talk to you guys next week. Thanks.